no woman should go through abuse. No man should go through abuse. No child should go through abuse. You're listening to the Hatsuk and Ramsey Unleash podcast show. Broadcasting from Edinburgh, Scotland, across the globe. You're listening to Hatrick and Ramsey Unleashed, the people's podcast. Here to rock the podcast world. Okay, good evening, afternoon, morning, wherever you are in the world. This is an hour episode of the Hatrick and Ramsey Unleashed podcast show. We are doing our interviewing our first. Um, series of interviews with uh, women who go through abuse, who are survivors of abuse. So we're doing our first interview with Analtavis Pelsler, who is in my team for Awake Africa Scotland, and you may have heard that on our last podcast with uh, the Hattrick, who was with me at the time when we were talking. Uh, basically, we, we'll hear more about that again later on, uh, in, if not in this show, but uh, certainly going forward. Uh, in the future, future podcasts when I do with my broadcast partner as well. So welcome, Altavis. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Frazier. Thank you for having me. And hello to the listening viewers. <laughs> yeah, to listening viewers in Scotland. Yes, uh, you know, people. Well, we actually attract some interesting, let's just say, um, interesting countries like the Russian Federation and stuff. So maybe we've got Vladimir Putin sitting in his... Uh, bathtub listening to this podcast but that is a strange thought yes uh, so <laughs> that's uh, always a possibility though yes, right so you, you never know so um yeah so honestly <laughs> on the on the serious note uh let's uh basically what we've um we have all to be her story on what we're going to discuss her life her story over the last sort of certainly last year anyway and we're talking but we'll go a bit more into the background basically we have Altavis, who has uh, been from being homeless to basically turning everything around to being an author of two books and a certified life coach, single mother, and rocking it to say the least. So let's just say uh, that is pretty much the 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 end. Well, that's the ending of it, the good thing. But we're obviously going to go into the, the the obviously the before, which is the the challenging part. So Altavis. Tell us, what was life, where are you from, what was life like growing up, and uh, basically tell us, just tell us what was, how was life, was it good, bad, indifferent, Uh, was it, I mean, how did things all kick off, or tell us about it. Well, for me, growing up was, uh, unfortunately, it was kind of average up compared to what a lot of the youth here in America go through. Um, I was raised by a single mom. Um, I am the oldest of six. So um, mom working two jobs. Uh, She was college educated, um, but she uh, was diabetic. So just the Something that, you know, the the everyday, the average of what, you know, a lot of the youth in today's populations are going through, especially where I was um, born and raised, which is Philadelphia. Philadelphia has a very big population of single parent homes. So that was a major thing that we went through. Uh, 
you know, as a collective, but no different when it comes to, you know, just the everyday average. Um, But there was a point in time when my mother was finishing out her second degree that I was not living with her. And it was during that time that I was molested when I was living with an aunt. It was by a family friend. How old were you when that happened? That had to be, that was about first or second grade. So, uh, different in America to over here, so you're probably looking yeah. at <laughs> first or second grade. Uh, I mean, let's first just First or second grade is about seven or eight. So, seven or eight. Oh, seven or eight years. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, with what was the, obviously with living with an aunt and living with a relative and that happening, I mean, what was the general, why do you think it happened? What was the leading up to it? Um... At the time, I I didn't know what was going on. It was, you know, it was inappropriate touch, but I never really, it was the the comfortable um, standard that we have in the school systems is always stranger danger. So it wasn't a stranger. So it wasn't really, it was kind of conflicting. Is it really dangerous? You know, how do I really approach this? And for me, I ended up not telling my mother about it because um, it was, again, during the time that I wasn't living with my mom. She was, you know, moving forward and getting her degree. So it wasn't like, you know, she dropped me off on a doorstep or anything of the sort like that. But it was still like I felt like I had to protect her. So I never said a word. I did not say anything until last year. The last year. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So by not by this obviously it happened once did it happen keep did it keep happening? It happened maybe two or three times. Okay, so how did that affect your life? How did going forward in your education, developing, and things like that? When being such a young age, of being roughly about seven or eight years old, um, I didn't realize the true effects of it until I was older. Right. Um, yeah the low self-esteem, the thinking that I had to be a people pleaser, that I had to always do something to get the attention of someone else, Um, never really being comfortable in my own skin. Um, And and that was it, just not being being comfortable in, in who I was, thinking that I had to put on an act or put on a show. And it was always, you know, trying to do what I could to fit in to some type of group. Okay. Because in my mind, I didn't fit in anywhere. So you, were you a bit of a kind of, did you feel a bit of a sort of a loner? Would you say that? Struggle to get friends? Or? There were some times I was that child that always, I would, I could sit off and, you know, just write and be comfortable in doing that. Right. Um, I'm the child that would just go for a walk <laughs> and be okay with that because, um, that was just who I was. And, and again, normally when you, you do something that's opposite of what everyone else does, you, you end up having that feeling of being alone, that feeling of, I don't really fit in. What, I don't what really way fit did in. you think you didn't fit in? Was it to, like to the other kids in your Yeah, other children in my age, or I had to do the things that they were doing in order to fit in. So that was, you know, drinking and 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 smoking and um, 
I w- again, it was that feeling that I couldn't be comfortable in my own skin. So I had to do something in order to um, be accepted. I guess that would be an appropriate word for it is be accepted by those who were around me, my peers. And again, none of them ever knew that I had been molested. Um, my family never knew. So they just took it as a typical, you know, child doing typical child things. And, um, the reality is a lot of our youth that have been molested, um, raped or abused, they, they go through some of the same things and it's never really um, checked out. It's never really looked at because they just categorize it as typical childhood behavior. Okay. So when you got into maybe like secondary school or kind of when you got to your teens, uh, how was life I mean, going, going forward, obviously, secondary um, education, et cetera? Yeah, I think going forward, it was still it was still pretty much the same. Um, Still, you know, trying to fit in, still, you know, not really communicating with people. That was another big thing is the communication is being able to communicate some things, but not all things. Um, Being able to talk about um, some things but not everything. So no one still knew about this past that I had endured, uh, even those who were closest to me. So it, 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 it I guess you kind of say that people, that I was walking around with a mask on. I think that's like the, one of the terminology that people use so often because you kind of walk around with this this mask of what, what you think people want to see, what you what you want them to see you for, what you want them to see in you. Um, so that way you don't offend anybody, you don't get anybody upset. And that's what it was. Uh, middle school, high school, still walking around with that mask on. Um, were you quite, when it comes to school, were you quite academic? Or were you quite, uh, were you sort of, did you shy away from I, Academic. Um, I, it, school was so-so. I had, maybe average grades in school, um, active and things like, you know, step team and, um, other activities. I love to write. So I was always writing. I have notebooks and notebooks full of poetry and stories and ideas. So I was always writing. I was always, you know, doing that piece. Um, always active. Uh, usually we would, we're always doing something. If not doing something in school, I was doing something outside of school. So pretty, stayed pretty active. Uh, so yeah, no, never, you know, just sitting around doing nothing. I wish. <laughs> okay. So, so after going through that, what well, tell us after kind of school life? I mean, you like obviously when did you leave school? Did you go to college, university? Did you just go straight into a job, or what was it kind of? Yes, I went. Uh, I did go to college. Um, I actually have my a college degree. I um, have an associate's in social behavioral health. I went, um, I did work. Most times I was working um, two jobs at a time. Um, I got married at an early age, in my early 20s, um, to someone I had been dating uh, since about 18 and, you know, I thought it was kind of like I, I 
I thought that was the next step. I thought that was going to be that next thing to, you know, help me for me, help me get past some things or understand some things better. Or, you know, this is what is this is what society says is supposed to be the next thing is is marriage and and children. So I had three children and I was married and um, I just kind of during the marriage didn't really feel I didn't feel like I could be myself. And even after um, separating from my ex-husband in our divorce, and I even went back to him and said, you know, during that time, I really did not know myself. I didn't know the things that I liked, the things that I didn't like. And a lot of it stemmed from that low self-esteem. A lot of it stemmed from that molestation. Um, when you have that abuse, when you go through that molestation or that rape, you have this feeling of you're kind of lost. So you're trying to, you know, take on whatever identity you can take on to see if that fits instead of just cultivating the, the identity that you have. You're kind of just trying to take on whatever is around you and see if it fits. And it's almost like a game of Tetris. Everything's not going to fit. <laughs> Did Things you, have to be moved around. Did you find, uh, obviously with being married quite early uh, in life, that you maybe missed out on a lot of growing up? Sometimes when people get married too early, you miss out on that kind of early 20s, mid-20s kind of time of doing, just doing, being a, a typical 20-year-old, you know what I mean? Uh, enjoying life. Um, in some do. aspects, yes. Um, with me having children and other people were out and, you know, going places and traveling and I didn't get to do all that. So, um, but I loved being a mom too. So it was like, it was kind of conflicting. How old were you when you had your first child? Uh, 20. 20, right. Okay. And so I was then, how long were you married for? Uh, we were together for a total of seven years. We were married for three. Right. Okay. Cool. So. Yeah. So, you've had your three kids. You're divorced. You're single mom. Mm -hmm. uh, you're. I'm guessing you finished college, etc. You've got. You're, you're working your couple of jobs. I mean, what's life going on now? You're divorced. What was happening then? Um. During that time was when I actually. Well, we had been separated for a while, and. During the time of the divorce was when I found out that my daughters had been molested, um, which opened up a lot of wounds for me because, again, no one had known about what I had endured as a child. Right. So nobody really saw or understood why it was so. I mean, you understand why it's devastating for the mother, but they couldn't see, you know, that inside struggle that I was going through because of the wounds that it was opening up for me. So that kind of made it difficult, even more so with dealing with the whole situation. Uh, with, the, with the course you studied at college, the behavioral course, mm -hmm. did that, obviously learning uh, behavioral stuff with kids, well, obviously for kids and stuff, but did that not open up any wounds at all obviously learn because sometimes when you do like a counseling in certain course, areas yes yeah, um it just depends on the, the class that i was taking like i know i took a class on um oh my goodness there was a class that i took and one of the questions that was asked is what was considered rape what's considered 
um, abuse, you know, and that was something that we had discussed. It was a psychology class and we discussed it in class and I loved it because, you know, I was getting different perspectives. It made me think a little bit about what I had been through. But again, I still had no one I could really talk to about it because nobody knew. And, um, you know, so I would just ask, you know, what was sexual harassment and things like that and just general conversations. But it also allowed me to survey those around me with these questions that I was getting from class to see where their mind was, where their, you know, where their thought process was when it came to molestation, when it came to rape or harassment. Um, And it opened my eyes because oftentimes we think uh, we may think that the people around us are, you know, for or against something and they may be completely opposite than what we believe that they were in their thought process or in their understanding or, you know, um, or in what they support. So it, it made me still not want to tell anybody. <laughs> okay. It made me still not want to open my mouth and say anything to anyone, but it did open my eyes to the fact that oftentimes with those who are, um, who go through the harassment or the abuse or the molestation, those around them that they believe are going to be the support um, sometimes aren't. And there's, you know, different reasons why. Okay, did you find, not obviously with being your eyes open to what was going on, uh, obviously realising more of what happened, uh, did you find with obviously wanting to tell, wanting to share your story, wanting to tell somebody because you were, what, and did you find it by bottling up you were maybe getting suffering from depression or anything like that or really feeling, finding things kind of almost banging your head a, a brick wall that you want to tell somebody but you just can't because you just don't have the you're scared of the confidence or maybe somebody won't believe you or how does how did that feel i think it was more not so much uh, of wanting to you know like get it out it was more trying to suppress it okay you wanted to just forget about it and say just forget about it yeah it kept coming just keep coming back to the front of your mind right and obviously right and and uh you know, just trying to forget about it, trying to suppress it because it was if if I felt almost felt like if I suppressed it long enough, then it in my mind it would go away. Okay. How did that not realizing that, you know, it it really does become a almost a part of your DNA in a sense, because of, you know, how far and how deep it goes throughout your life when you have something like that that happens to you. Okay. Did it affect anything else, like health at all, or was it just in general everything, you just kind of just kept going and plodding on, you had kids, you got to look after them, you just got to work? Right. For me, it was just plunge forward, move ahead, uh, bury it, keep it moving. Um, Every time something would come along that would kind of, you know, uncover it a little bit for me, I would just find another way to bury it. So again, I was the people pleaser. I was working two jobs. I was, you know, at one time going to school and hmm. what what were the the jobs you were working? Usually um, either working with children or working in retail, um, doing something. I was always doing something. It was always, you know, Fill the time, fill the time, fill the time. And eat for the longest time, just sitting still 
was the hardest thing for me. Right. Okay. So when you got the news of that you found that your kids had been molested as well, I mean, what was the scenario on that and how did that go? Well, who by? And then, um, I, oh, I normally ask them how their weekend was when they come back from a visit or from, you know, from doing anything. Um, they had come back from a visit and um, upon returning, when I asked them, you know, how their weekend was, was when I found out uh, what had happened um, it was. And where had they gone? Where had they gone for the weekend? They gone to live with their dad at the time. Yes, they um, were. Uh, I'm guessing he had. Yes. Ac- I guess he had some access controls. Uh, he saw the kids every so often. While was that the kind of right? Thing? And um, it wasn't him. It was someone else. Uh, while he was while they were in his care. Um, but I found out what happened when they came back and it kind of just spiraled out of control from there, uh, you know, with court and, uh, you know, with, when you have children involved, you have to go to court school, they, you have to take them to doctor's visits, you have to take them to, um, therapy sessions, you have to take them to, you know, there's so many things that you have to do. Um, so even though it opened the wound of what I had endured as a child myself, I couldn't talk about it because here it is again. I had to suppress it in order to move forward and do what I needed to do for them. Um, and I ended up moving from uh, Pennsylvania to Maryland, uh, you know, because I was struggling trying to take care of the children, trying to do everything for them in their court case. Thankfully, the, the young man pleaded guilty so um, they did not have to testify in court. They didn't have to go. Um, and I even in that process, there was um, some things that happened where, you know, I did not want the young man to go to jail. I wanted him to get help. Okay. Um, because it was found out that he was had been molested as well. And. You know, I, I got I got ridiculed for that because it was like uh, almost like, oh, you're giving him a slap on the wrist. And I said, no, I'm, I'm breaking a cycle because oftentimes you'll have those who have been molested will become a molester or, you know, go through. Um, they'll say sexual deviancy or all types of things, you know, that they go through. Uh, you have a lot of women who become um, prostitutes, who become strippers. Uh, you have a lot of women and men who have been molested who will go to drugs. And, you know, there's so many different avenues where um, where they try to, you know, fill that gap. They try to heal themselves by any means necessary. And. I didn't want that to be, you know, that to be the case because sending him to jail would not have solved the problem. Yeah, very true. So, what? Obviously, we're going through all this process. You've just you you've you're dealing with your kids' scenario. You're pretty mm-hmm. much suppressing your own scenario. I mean, where was your head? In the, how, I mean, keeping your head in the game can't have been easy. And what was what were you going through? It was all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> All over the place, um, man. I I don't even know. Like at some points, I can't even remember what was going on because it was just 
it was almost like there were moments where I was just in a fog, just trying to get it all done as best as possible, go to sleep, wake up the next day to try to get it all done again. And when we transitioned from uh, Pennsylvania to Maryland, I was just like in a whirlwind. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, you know, I don't know anyone down here. I just know, you know, my family and that's it. And how am I going to make this happen? And, you know, what um, are the children going to be okay? Because that's always a big question is, you know, are they going to be okay? And, you know, it's definitely been a journey. It definitely has been a journey, but I wouldn't have changed it for the world. Uh, even if I could go back and redo it, I wouldn't change it. Um, there's been some great things that I've learned along the way. Um, and I, I've been able to gain access to a great support system as well. And I think that's one of the biggest things that helped me get through it was the support system. Did you mean going through this? So as I say, asking about where your head was and trying to keep things going. Most of those days that you just kids are asleep and you just went went to bed and you were just you just cried because you had to release all the things you're yeah. on many times was a ooh often or I would wake up in the middle of the night because my girls would be having a nightmare and I would just cry or you know they would ask me a question or they would you know something would come up and I would cry and that was you know. It was funny because when I when I published my first book and the title of it is It's Okay to Cry, I, in my mind, I was thinking, who would want to read a book <laughs> yeah. telling them that it's okay to cry? But with everything that I endured, with everything that we went through, some people just need access to that understanding that it is okay to cry. It You don't have to think that your tears mean that you're weak. Your tears don't mean that you are inadequate or that you're incapable of handling the situation in front of you. It just means that you are human. You have emotions, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you thinking, obviously, if somebody who's listening to this uh, and maybe who, well, if somebody's gone th- or going through the same scenario, that you have been through uh, looking obviously we'll come to the stage of your your. we'll come to the point when you were homeless and obviously your books in a second and what we'll do is if you somebody was sitting here listening to this going through that same scenario that you've just spoken about what would you uh, what would you say to them my biggest thing the most valuable piece of information I can give to them is don't be silenced. Oftentimes when we're going through situations, we don't want to talk about it because we don't want people to look at us at us in a certain light. We don't want to talk about, you know, the wounds that we endured. We don't want to talk about the abuse. We don't want to talk about it, but it's within our talking about it that a healing takes place. And that healing could be the difference between, for someone, it could be the difference between life and death. Be it the healing that we're doing for ourselves by talking about it, or the healing that we are giving to someone else by talking about it. Um, that's one of the things that I've come to grips with with 
being able to tell my story, without being able to do the books, going live on social media is, yes, I had the wounds. Yes, I can show you the scars, but the scars mean that I'm healed. And there's someone else that needs to understand that no matter what the wound is that they have, they can be healed. There's healing that can take place. You know, they just have to find what the process is and and the proper steps for them to be healed. But it can come about. It can happen. Okay, we're going to uh, take a quick commercial break uh, there. So if you've been listening to just what Altavis has been saying, uh, I mean, as I say, if you want to reach out to Altavis, we'll have our, um, maybe have some contact details at the end of the show. Uh, and she, if she, um, you want to email her or read her, find out where you can buy her, buy her book, etc. We'll have those details uh, in a minute. So just we're going to have a commercial break and we're going to play some music as well after the commercial break. And we'll come out with part two in a second. Enjoying the show? Tell us about it. Send us your feedback, suggestions, or thoughts to hattrickandramsey at gmail.com. This show is brought to you by edinburghdusters.com and ideasgoinglive.com. Dance with me through fields of snow Follow me far away we'll go We'll make angels in the snow Skate with me across icy lakes Carving figures with our skates We'll make angels in the snow Skating under colored lights, touching through our frostbite, we'll make angels in the snow. They can have their sun, their heat, when you're with me there is no need, making Angels in the snow Making angels in the snow Sipping from your hot cocoa Lying in our 
fields of snow Making angels in the snow Okay, welcome back to uh, part two. Uh, we just uh, listen to some music. Uh, obviously, I didn't say what music I was going to be playing, but it was just going to be a very random choice, which uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, but yes, um, part two. So let's kind of go forward. You've uh, you've moved. You you've basically to, to Mar- Marilyn, Marilyn, wherever you pronounce it. <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> yeah, and so when you moved there. You, it's obviously kind of a new start in a sense, um, different place. What, tell us what you obviously did. You have to find new jobs, etc. What was happening? Yeah. So it was difficult finding a job when I first got here. Um, found a church home. Uh, became very active in that church home and um, volunteering until I could find a job. Uh, kind of just still kind of in limbo as far as my emotions uh, surrounding the whole situation. Um, in that time span, I also had my mother pass away, right. who was in still in Pennsylvania, so I was traveling back and forth um, while she was in a nursing home uh, for three years, traveling back and forth from Maryland to Pennsylvania. Um Anytime there was an emergency, you know, going back and forth to the hospital and things of that nature as well. Was, so I had that going on. What, what, if you don't mind me asking, what did your mother die of or pass away of? Um, she had uh, she had diabetes from childhood, so it was a complicated. It was a combination of that and breast cancer. Right. Okay. Um, and. Yeah, so that took a, a large toll on me, but it also um, it also kind of set a fire fire under me because my mother passed just days before her her birthday, and like literally almost a week before her birthday, and there was so much that she hadn't accomplished that I know she wanted to do. So, you know, I got a little more dedicated in, in writing. I got a little more, you know, a little more dedicated dedicated in, you know, doing things for the children and with the children. I got a little more dedicated in that area. And that was great. But it still, it didn't set enough of a fire under my behind for me to, you know, finish the book and get it published. I didn't do that until... Of course, this year, earlier this year. Did, did you, just obviously, did you get a chance to tell your mom what happened with yourself? No, I never told her. Was that hurt? Was I that, never that, told her. Was that, did you wish you had? No. 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 Because I know that, for me, my mother, she did so much you know, just in the everyday, just in being the example and her being that mother, her, you know, supporting me, her encouraging me, she did so much. I did not want to hinder any joy or any thoughts of happiness for her. 
because again, it wasn't a time, it was a time when I wasn't even staying with her. So I didn't want to have her feel guilty for pursuing her dreams. Okay. How, obviously, just to backtrack a little bit, uh, you said you had six. You were, obviously, there's six, there was, well, six kids your mum had, there's six of you. How yes. Close are you are, how close are you to your brothers, sisters, and how many is there? I am very close, well, not as close as I would like to be because they're still, some are still in Pennsylvania, but I am close to them. Um, Oh my goodness, love it. (laughs) I mean, how, how obviously, they must, well, now because of your your books, they obviously know the situation. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, how did they react to it when they found out? Um, Surprised, uh, very supportive. Um, yeah, very supportive. Uh, same with my girls when they found out, it was kind of like it took them, a, you know, they it took it back, they took, you know, took their breath away for a second, but they were able to, you know, be supportive and it. It gave them a different understanding because they were able to realize that the things that I was saying to them, I wasn't just saying it from a mother. I was also saying it from someone who had dealt with what they had dealt with. And, you know, I guess that that gave them a little more comfort. It did. It gave them a little bit more comfort. So, so how did you, obviously, well, I was going to ask, were you always a church person? Did you always go to church? Off and on. Not as much as I did when I started coming down here. Um, Philadelphia, I was, it was, yeah, it was off and on, off and on. Um, but when I came down here, it was uh, I was a lot more dedicated. Um, like I said, I, I when I came here was the first time that I actually started volunteering and you know being more involved and doing all types of things. So that was major. <laughs> so, leaders, tell us the tell us the part of how you ended up homeless and how did that all kick off and how what did it, what was the leading what was the leading up to that when you just actually actually came homeless. Um, Dealing with some things with my job, trying to, uh, my hours were getting cut. They were, you know, it was a craziness. So trying to keep up with the bills was becoming very hectic, very, very hectic. Um, especially as a single mother, it was, it was difficult. It was. And I did not rely on the support team that I had at the time um, because I felt like I could handle it myself, and I ended up we ended up being evicted, and it was like okay, well, we still were you know kept during that whole time because we had a place to go to, um, we already had a U-Haul to you know get our stuff and move it, and um, we just moved it into storage and took what we needed to take, and so we did what we could. And, you know, moved forward. We were we were only um, staying with another family for another for maybe about three months, if that. And um, then we were able to move into our own place. Is that, so, did you get our job or what did, how did you? Um, my, my hours became a little more stable. They're they're still doing whatever, but <laughs> they so become. So I'm guessing the job that you were there, the hours was the same job you're actually in now. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. Um, still not the most stable of you know of hours, but uh, we've been able to make it happen, 
and you know just being able to move forward it was difficult it was but it's a process so tell us obviously you started writing your book about it's okay to cry so Mm -hmm. you going through all that and thinking obviously probably the last thing on your mind was obviously writing and finishing a book because obviously you gotta work and get yourself a plate a roof over your head properly and earn the money especially while trying to feed three kids at the same time as well mm-hmm. it can't have been easy and feed yourself and just travel to work and babysitters etc must have been just somebody's driving you crazy half the time uh, basically but I mean just if you're in that, this scenario you've just been through if you as, as again what would you say to other people in the same scenario how would you how would you try and what advice would you or potential help would you helpful advice that you put forward to them if they were listening to this well I have two things that I would say one is the cliche thing that everybody says um, which is you know take it one day at a time definitely take it one day at a time I started off with my book literally um, it started off being called the press eight stages of getting through difficult situations and then it it started separating and being eight individual books instead of just that one full book. And that's where it's okay to cry came from because I literally already had it done. Um, I maybe had to critique it a little bit here and there, but the majority of it was completed. Um, it was already completed. I just needed to have it edited and get the cover and then go ahead and send it out. Um, so, since I already had it, sometimes we need to understand that um, what we need for the next stage, what we need for that next level, what we need for that next thing that's coming in our life, we already have access to it. Okay. We already have access to it. And I think that was the big thing is that um, I tell people all the time as I help them to find their unique voice. You already have a voice. Now, some people may speak with their voice, some people may sing with their voice, but you have one. And once you have that realization and that understanding that you have a voice, then you can move forward in using it to the best ability. Okay. So, you basically, you've got a new house, your job's got better, you are finishing your first book, you obviously changed it to So Good to Cry, you got that published. Um, you've obviously what we, what inspired you to write your second book and tell us what you're actually doing now within the space of a year from when you were homeless to finding a new place to now tell us how you've actually turned your life around from basically from being going through molestation at a young age your daughter's going through your, uh, the same thing uh, being having to move away being homeless and now where are you now in life and what's your plans? What's your, what's the looking forward in your life? What would you say? The, what's the light at the end of your tunnel by saying what do you want to achieve? So tell us that. What's your kind of what, where, what's going so, forward from now in your, you've got a second book, tell about the second book, et cetera, et cetera. So the second book is define your voice. It's helping, um, helping people to find their unique voice, find what it is that, 
they have to offer the world? How can they save people? How can they help people? What can they say? What can they do? And that's what the second book is all about. It came about with um, through me going through this process of this year of defining my own voice, um, real, you know, going live on social media, on Periscope and Facebook and Instagram and encouraging people and, um, you know, being that support. And when I was able to start talking about what I had been through was when other people started saying thank you for being, you know, being so transparent. Thank you for sharing your testimony. Thank you for, you know, sharing that. Or I would literally every day that I go live, I get someone who says, I've been there. I've gone through that. Thank you for sharing. And even to the point where, you know, other women are, you know, starting to write books and they're starting to do things and they're starting to be a little more confident in who they are. So, with that being said, I said, okay, well, I have another book that'll be out um, soon. It's called um, it's called The Ripple Effect. And then next year is the book tour. And with the book tour, I have, um, it'll be a small, intimate book tour and motivational event. Uh, maybe about 25 to 50 people with each location. Nothing really big. But it'll be a book signing. Um, there'll be a monologue. There'll be different things going on. I am speaking this November in Florida here in the United States um, with Miss Donyell Winningham and a program that she's doing. Also, um, I am a part of Awake Africa Scotland as one of the creative writers and looking forward to not just coming to Scotland in April, but also um going on tour with that as well as you know as we move forward in that initiative as well so there's a lot of traveling <laughs> there's a lot of traveling coming what, what made you choose to become a life coach what made you go down that road um the life coaching came from the fact that i was always giving out advice there's okay. always somebody asking me a question. There's always somebody, even now, there's always someone in my inbox on my phone sending me a message saying, hey, can you, you know, this is going on. Hey, can you be a listening ear? Hey, what do you think about this? And it just, it fit. It fit. The title fit because that's what I had been doing all along is being that life coach. Um when you look at my books, that's what they are. They're life coaching books. They're books to help you, you know, move through some piece or some part of your life um, that somebody else might have told you to get over it. Someone else might have told you to, you know, forget about it, to just move on. And I'm taking those things that you went through and saying, no, you don't have to forget about it, that you can use this to be your stepping stone. You can use this to be your springboard into your next, you know, your next journey. So, um, if you were to say, if you were to think, looking down the path, and there's a tunnel with a tunnel uh, with a light, um, and that's what you want to achieve, what would you say that's, what, what is that goal? What would you say that light is? What do you hope to achieve? So, going forward my my goal for well for 2017 my goal I'm saying is I want it I want to help 
10,000 women find their unique voice. But ultimately, is I want to be able to help millions of women find their unique voice. I want to empower them. I want to give them the resources and the tools necessary for them to impact the world. So that, that that's your goal. From working backwards, what do you think you, you obviously you'd have to do to where you are now to be able to achieve that goal? So working backwards is, you know, is the books, of course. There are a ton more books coming out. Working backwards are um, is would include the um, one-on-one coaching programs or the group coaching programs. Working backwards would be touring and not just touring, but touring and reaching you know other demographics, touring in other countries, you know, bridging the gap. Uh, when I go live, I connect with people literally in Japan, in Korea, in Brazil, in France, in in Scotland, in, in London, and in, in all across the world, people are connecting, um, and it makes it really impactful because, yeah, when I say, can reach that far. Just for those who are listening, obviously, when you say you go live, uh, tell people what you... Oh, yeah, for I know you because I've been talking to you because you're part of my the team that we're the same team of the Awake Africa Scotland. But tell us when you say you go live, uh, explain to people what platforms you use to go live on and how you got into going using social media, and who the people the kind of people you've met by going live on social media. And oh, I mean, there's not just as people those who may not know Periscope. There's Facebook now with Facebook Live. And there's other platforms yes. as well. <laughs> so tell people how did you when you. How did you first discover these live platforms uh, and you suddenly you're almost you're addicted to basically it's like a drug, but you're obviously <laughs> developing your your platform. So tell people how you started and got into it and who introduced you and so on. So I started going on Periscope after a friend um, would go on and after he was doing his podcast, then he would go on Periscope and go live. And I said I would support, and that was the only reason that I downloaded the app. Um, some way, somehow, I um, I ended up connecting with my business coach, Miss Dawn Yell Winningham. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. <laughs> I ended up connecting with my business coach, and she had a course teaching us how to do live stream. I took the course and I was so nervous <laughs> when I started out. Definitely not as confident as I am now. Definitely not as comfortable in front of the camera as I am now. Um, but it was through that class. It was called Scope School. Now it's called like live streaming school or something along that lines. Um, but definitely, as, as comfortable as I am now, I'm able to do more. But I never realized how big of a platform it could be. Because I literally have 
connected with people all over the world. I've connected with a young lady by the name of Janine Cummings. She is in London and her great community, the Wild Women of Worth community. I've connected with Danielle Winningham. Um, I'll be, you know, doing events with her over the next few years. Everywhere. <laughs> Connecting with people all over the world. And it, it it's, I think the biggest piece of it is exposure. Is exposure. Is, you know, you expose yourself to other nationalities, you expose yourself to other cultures and you, when you expose yourself to other cultures, you allow people to be able to see that we're all one. We had some of the same problems. We had some of the same, you know, things that we laugh and smile and joke about. We're all one. And literally people will come on and if I go live and pray, people are on there from all over the world praying with me. If I go live just to do a motivational scope, there are people all over the world who connect with me who are, you know, just like, thank you for, you know, going live. Thank you. And it's all different nationalities. It bridges the gap. Okay. And, you know, one of the biggest things that I say to people all the time is that me as being that's I'm considered the voice coach you know, helping you to find your unique voice, I help you to take the bricks from your personal prison in order to build a bridge. And that brick for you may have been a divorce, it may have been molestation, it may have been rape, it may have been um, low self-esteem, depression, whatever that brick is for you, I help you to use that brick and build a bridge. And that's what I've been able to do on social media is build a bridge. So this the... Summarize if you're to just to summarize over the next for about sixty or sixty seconds or a minute, couple of minutes, if you can uh, summarize just what if when somebody's listening to this interview, you summarize what would you what you're going to say to that could help these people who are listening who've gone through the same thing or similar or know of somebody who are going through this in a similar way or it doesn't have to be molestation but it could be any type of abuse. What would you how would you say? what would you say to them and also how they can contact you that you can help maybe be there for them? Mm -hmm. So I would say to anyone listening that it's time to get your voice heard. It's time to hear you use your own voice as well as there is someone out there waiting to hear your voice. What you have to offer the world is a blood donation and there's literally someone waiting for a blood transfusion. So we have what it takes. You have what it takes to give them life. Um, it, it makes it very difficult at times what we've been through um, for us to feel as though that we have that power. We have that, you know, we have that gifting. We have that talent. But no matter what you've been through, if you are alive today, then you were victorious. And Although the victory for you may have been bigger or smaller than for someone else, you are still victorious. So you have the opportunity to find your voice. Um, if you would like to connect with me, you can. I am on social media everywhere. <laughs> if you put in find your voice on Facebook, 
um, Instagram or on Periscope, you will find me. Uh, on Twitter, I am the voice coach. Uh, and if you would like to, you can always email me. It's contacts at altavispelzer.com. Hey, we'll have that. We'll obviously have that email in the show notes, uh, or just at the in the notes of where you can contact. Uh, as I said, you can as I say find your voice. I want to just to bring this interview to an end and say thank you for uh, a very eye-opening story and a very eye-opening um, just for anybody listening to if somebody who's gone through this scenario in their life. Um, and obviously, this happens to many, and the many do not find their voice. Many go through it and many go through a very, very dark place um, by not being able to find their voice because of the situation they're still in. Uh, and if you if you know of anybody out there who is in this situation, who are really struggling to find their voice, please let me hear this interview. Please, uh, in some way, share this and get this podcast around um, and hopefully they will have that opportunity to be set free. Um, if you want to know more about the Awake Africa Scotland project, you can also Google Awake Africa Scotland and you'll find the website. We are using a platform to help uh, highlight the abuse of women in Africa and around the world and to help give them a voice by putting on a stage show in Edinburgh, Scotland. So once again, I want to thank you for listening and thank you to Altavis Pelzer for her story and thank you for your time. And I would like to say thank you, Fraser, for having me and also thank you to your audience for tuning in. Yes. So uh, till next time, peeps, uh, thank you for listening to the Hatrick and Ramsey Unleashed podcast show. Uh, till next time, uh, may I say goodbye to you and thanks again for listening. And take care. Bye-bye now. <laughs>